Hello and welcome to Facing Race. I'm your host, Leila Schultzames. In honor of Election Day last week, we're going to look at women of color in politics. Stay tuned. So last week, Michelle Wu was elected the first female mayor of Boston and the first Asian American. Uh, We also had Eric Adams, who obviously he's not a female, but he was only the second black mayor uh, elected in New York City. And around the United States, we have cities like San Francisco, whose mayor, London Breed, uh, is is a woman of color. And in Chicago, Lori Lightfoot. Um, So a lot of these cities are really leading the way for uh, women of color in politics. So with that being said, I thought it was high time I did an episode where I looked at people of color, particularly women of color in politics, both local and national. So let's start with some interesting figures. So we know that Kamala Harris became the first woman of color to hold the office of vice president on January 20th, 2021. And she's also, of course, the first woman of color, the first black person, the first South Asian person elected to the office of of the vice presidency. But she's not the only person of color, of course, making uh, national news and um, really leaving her mark on, on politics. According to the Center for American Women in Politics, of the 144 women ser- serving in the U.S. Congress right now, 50 or about 35% are women of color. There's three in the Senate and for 47 in the House. In addition, a black woman, a Latina, an Asian Pacific Islander, a Caribbean American, uh, among others, are serving as delegates to the House um, from Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, American Samoa, the Virgin Islands, because they aren't allowed to um, actually elect officials. So um, those territories are uh, delegates. Of the 94 women serving in statewide elected executive offices, about 18 or or 19% of, are women of color. And of the 2,290 women state legislators serving nationwide, 27% are women of color. So that would include 153 state senators and 454 state representatives. Um, in case you're interested in the, the party breakdown, it's, it's quite interesting. Uh, 580 of those are Democrats. There's 25 Republicans and one progressive and and one nonpartisan. So certainly women of color tend to be more prominent in the Democrat uh, side of things. And uh, Republicans, though, in the last few years, they have been trying to reach out to uh, to a more diverse body. Uh, it hasn't really shown up in in the elections. So in any case, to me, these figures say that we have really come a long way and we made government look a little bit more like how America actually looks. But I think also it shows that we have a lot of things to do in order to fully make things uh, really equal. So what can we do to get more women involved? And what are some of the complications in terms of getting women, particularly women of color, involved? Well, in recent years, outside groups focused on bringing more women into elected office and, and to a lesser extent political parties, and they've worked to help elect more women of color. There's also evidence that some voters want more women of color in politics, especially Democrats. Uh, but ultimately, research points to women of color themselves really driving these changes. Uh, of course, it hasn't been easy. 
uh, several of the women of color in Congress, like, for example, Cori Bush from Missouri, uh, she actually lost her first House race in 2018 uh, and had to really rebound and and reboot after that initial defeat uh, before eventually becoming elected. Um, We also have uh, a lot of women who uh, want to get involved in politics, whether from the local or um, national level, but maybe they're not um, given the support that that they, they need. And we'll kind of talk about that a little bit later on in the episode. Uh, Wendy Smooth, who is a political science professor at Ohio State University, pointed to Stacey Abrams as a really a key figure, as somebody who planted the seeds for more women of color to run for elected office um, after she unfortunately was defeated. Uh, as, as many people know, Abrams narrowly lost the 2018 Georgia governor's race, and she turned to political organi- organi- organizing, and um, she actually founded Fair Fight, uh, which focuses on combating voter suppression. Um, This organization really emerged in Georgia in response to state Republicans' efforts to purge voter rolls, uh, which, of course, disproportionately affected black voters. And um, she has been very, very active, not only in Georgia, but also in states across the South. And we have really seen, uh, even in just the last couple of years, you know, a lot of these these local groups have been working to make sure that uh, people of color, their votes are, are counted, and also just to make sure that, that people of color get on, on the platform. Uh, women of color have been politically active for well over a century, but they haven't always had the most visible or traditional roles, and, and often they weren't recognized for their efforts. For instance, um, really until recently, a lot of activism was concentrated outside of elected institutions like Congress, with more organizing happening at the grassroots level. And this was especially true in the first half of the 20th century, as all women elected to Congress were white. And that didn't really change until race-based disenfranchisement started to get dismantled via legislation. Uh, that would be Voting Rights Act of 1965 or or legal victories like Tujillo versus Garley, um, which was a 1948 decision that struck down restrictions on Native Americans' right to vote. It wasn't until 1965 that a woman of color even arrived in Congress. Uh, Obviously, you know, since then, since 1965, we have had more women, but uh, it it has been a slow, slow transition. Uh, And and some of the women that were elected to, to this recent Congress have made it clear that their goal is to represent the needs of the communities that have historically been ignored. Uh, Representative Young Kim, who is a California Republican, and she's one of the three Korean-American women elected to Congress in in 2020, uh, said in an interview last year that she, quote, does, she said, I do hope that my voice can be heard and that I can represent not only my district, but also represent the underserved and underheard communities like the Asian-American vote, end quote. The fact that we're just now in a place where more Hispanic, Asian, and Pacific Islanders and and, and women of other races and ethnicities are getting elected is really worth pointing out because as a chart that a lot of charts that we've seen uh, when looking at uh, women in politics and, and women of different races, we're seeing that still the majority of women, if there are even women um, in politics, they're still for the most part white women, right? And and this is something that 
you know, certainly that's that's a, an ongoing uh, issue is just getting women, no matter what their color, you know, to be respected and, and, and to be seen uh, in politics. But a lot of it is, you know, getting women of color to to even, you know, have a seat at the table and, and even uh, make their voice heard and, and to really have the opportunity to represent themselves and their, their communities. So the question that a lot of people ask is, if we have made so much progress, why are women still having trouble breaking through into politics? The very real challenges all women face in in running for office are really magnified a hundredfold for women of color uh, because of their skin color. I think there's this perception of electability. Uh, we saw this with Kamala Harris running for, for president too, uh, routinely raised about all women and candidates, uh, and especially women of color. There's this perception that no one wants to give a woman of color uh, money for her campaign uh, because it's sort of a gamble that no one's going to vote for her. And of course, you know, we know that in, in this country, money talks. And so if you're not getting the money for your campaign, that's going to affect the staff that you can hire. That's going to affect the ad campaigns that you can run. And it's going to really result in you not being as visible uh, as as some of the other candidates. Um, even when women of color have greater skills, experience, or knowledge than their, their male opponents, their experience is questioned in a way that we really don't see for men. Experienced women of color are encouraged to, quote, like, gain more experience, serve as committee chairs, which I, I think is kind of a polite or not even a, a really polite way of saying, hey, you have to wait your turn. But I mean, I think now is the time, you know, now is the time to to really step up and, and take advantage of the opportunities. And and I don't think that we should have to to wait our t- turn anymore. Uh, recently in, in Virginia, uh, three women of color state legislators, they were delegates, uh, Jennifer Foy, Hala Ala, and Elizabeth Guzman, expressed interest in running for statewide executive office in 2021. And each of these women, they served in the General Assembly, they had written bills, they had been successfully reelected in their seats. And yet there's an unsigned editorial questioning their experience. It was published in a, in a local Virginia paper. And this is the same Commonwealth of Virginia where where two of the last four governors in in the last 20 years were white men who had not held public office in any capacity prior to serving in the highest state executive office in the Commonwealth. Both of them had left office with high approval ratings for their work, and they did not have nearly the experience that a lot of these white female legislators, I'm sorry, female legislators of color, um, they had a lot more experience than a lot of these white governors that we, we saw serving. So, okay, what can we do now then to support um, black or, or, or women of color in public office? Well, for starters, elect them to, to party leadership positions, uh, recruit and, and actually ask them to run, find them um, and support them if they want to run, um, donate money to their campaigns, uh, fundraise for them, volunteer for them. Y- you know, we, we can't change the face of power and, and build a truly reflective democracy if we are not collectively encouraging and supporting women of color to step up and own their power. So I think that's that's really a big part of it. Um, 
I had a chance to read a lot of different articles and and doing research for for this episode and in looking at some information from the hill it illustrated some additional infer issues uh liberals in particular love championing the success stories of women of color but they seem to fail to give them consistent resources that is money access to networks uh capacity to to really build support a lot of critical ingredients that you need to sort of elevate leadership and 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 build their work um looking back at at some figures here um a lot of of organizations like PACs, PACs, and and the civic organizations um, that are led by by women of color, they're often without that financial uh, means necessary. They they're not really well uh, financially backed, and despite driving some of the most successful organizing and voter uh, voter get out the campaigns and and all of that, and you know especially even during during the pandemic, a lot of these. These nonprofits were going out there and really fighting against a lot of these these issues. A lot of them are, you know, run by people of color, but they're not always getting the attention or the the, the finances that they need. Uh, there's a, a newly released um, study by the the New Profit Civic Lab that shines light on this this fundraising issue. Um, the organization's 2021 investment selection cycle uh, reviewed about 117 applications, uh, 64% from leaders of color and 64% from women. And they showed uh, a lot of civic organizations largely um, saw a funding increase in, in 2020, which is great. Um, however, when looking at the different organizations, when really breaking down the ones that were led by uh, people of color, not necessarily women of color, but, but people of color, those are the ones that still struggled to to reach their fundraising goals and those are the ones that struggled to to make as much money so basically i say this to to say that you know it's not just about supporting the the candidates that run it's also about supporting a lot of these organizations like for example i i talked about cc abrams fair fight you know supporting some of these these organizations that are out there fighting against voter suppression that are out there encouraging you know people of, of color to get involved um so i think that's that's really really important uh, even with with resource constraints, you know, women of color leaders are employing a diverse set of strategies to really strengthen our our civic culture and and promote an inclusive multiracial democracy. Uh, Angela Lang, uh, who's with the Black Leaders Organizing for Communities, they call it Block, is demonstrating a lot of that um, power of of community organizing. Um, they've done a lot in terms of training and workshops related to getting people of color more involved in in politics, which is great. Um, Emma Vadra has, has is working with an organization called Next One Hundred, and it's about really building diverse policymakers and and encouraging kind of this next generation of people of color to to get more involved in in, in politics. Um, there's also Leila Zadani of Millennial Action Project is working to lead a, a coalition of bipartisan lawmakers across 28 states to really bridge the partisan divide in, in the area of 
um, diversity in politics. So there's a lot of women of color, both uh, at the local level and in higher up, that are really working to to make sure that they're they're seen and make sure that they they really have a role in in making a difference. And you know, definitely women of color not only reforming the existing broken uh, practices in our democracy, but they're also entrepreneurs who are building and growing new institutions and you know really making sure that we we have a bright future ahead of us. Okay, that sound means it's time for Ask a Black Friend. Um, but before we get to that, I do just want to encourage everybody to check out fairfight.com to learn more about Stacey Abrams' campaign uh, to end voter suppression and also to encourage people of color to get involved in politics. Okay, so um, today's Ask a Black Friend is actually a conversation that I had many years ago. It was um, a Super Bowl party, uh, the Super Bowl where the Patriots uh, beat the Seattle Seahawks because Malcolm Butler intercepted Russell Wilson at the one-yard line, uh, which sealed the victory for us. But anyways, I digress. Uh, so I was having a conversation at that that party with a a woman she was a asian american woman um but she was conservative she was uh fairly fairly conservative uh and you know she had a lot of interesting views i guess you could say about race and and, and politics and you know i I don't consider myself to be a super, super liberal person, but, you know, as a woman of color, I, I've never felt that the right, um, particularly the Republican Party nowadays, has really done a lot to to convince me to to support them. So while I consider myself to be an, an independent, um, I, I am definitely not particularly wowed by by a lot of the Republican stances, particularly when it comes to social issues and, and, and race and all that. But um, here's, here she was, a, an Asian-American woman, and, and one of the things she said or she asked me is, look, you know, isn't the most important thing just to elect the most qualified person, not just to elect someone because they're a woman or because they're a person of color? Uh, isn't it more important to have somebody who knows what they're they're doing? And she basically said, look, you know, I, I don't mind if every single one of, of the senators and people in the House are white men, as long as they're, you know, committed to, to working hard and they're good at their job and they have experience. And she said, isn't that the most important thing? So I think actually, even though this this question was years ago and, and you know, we've kind of gone through a lot of political changes uh, since since then, I, I think it's actually an interesting thing to, to look at. Um, my my response is this. Again, as I, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, when looking at, at Virginia, and which Virginia, of course, just recently, um, last week, they elected a uh, new governor, and, and it's a Republican governor uh, who, who I would say essentially won based on a lot of this critical race theory uh, <laughs> debate that has been going on. Um, but in any case, I would say, look, you know, we, we've seen in, in places like Virginia where I mentioned, you know, uh, two of the, the last four governors, they really didn't have any experience in office. They really didn't have 
any political knowledge, but people elected them because I think a lot of times you see uh, a man, particularly a white man, and it's like, oh, he looks like he knows what he's talking about. He must, you know, be well-educated. He must have a lot of experience and knowledge on the issues. But that's not always the case. So I guess right away I would say, look, you know, just because someone is an older white guy doesn't mean that they're necessarily more qualified or they have more experience. Uh, I would also say, look, you know, why can't we have both? Why can't we have a person of color uh, and somebody who is, is really qualified? I think sometimes it does get a little bit complicated when we're looking at, you know, people of color or we're looking at women. I, you know, I think... 2008 election, you know, obviously uh, there's a lot of question about, well, Barack Obama, you know, does he have experience to be president? Are people just voting for him because he's he's black? Um, and then even on the other side, with John McCain running uh, with, with Sarah Palin as his running mate, you know, there's this idea of like, oh, we should, you know, maybe maybe people vote for, for him because he has a woman. And, you know, if you want to see a woman in office, well, I mean, I I wasn't going to support Sarah Palin because even though I do want to see a woman in office and I am very happy that we now have a female vice president, uh, obviously Sarah Palin wasn't a great choice because she didn't have the experience um, to lead. Whereas I think someone like Kamala Harris, um, even though she's not the perfect choice, you know, she does have experience um, in, in politics. So I think that you can have both. You can have a person of color or you can have a woman or whatever who um, does check that, that box, so to speak, that diversity box, but also is qualified. I, I think the other thing is too, the other important thing to point out is that sometimes black people or just people of color don't have the options that white people do in terms of education, in terms of internships, in terms of job opportunities. So they might be the smartest person in the room, but maybe they didn't have a chance to go to a really good school. Maybe they had to go to uh, a state school because they couldn't afford some of the elite institutions that, that we often see um, some of these white politicians attending. I remember uh Michelle Obama uh, writing in her book Becoming where she talked about going to Princeton and, and obviously back then in the 80s she was uh, one of the few black women of color in Princeton. I remember she writes about going and, and looking around at the people in her classes that were pretty much all white people, mostly white men. And she was thinking, oh boy, you know, I wonder how I'm I'm going to stack up to them. And then she realized after a while that they weren't really all that much smarter you know they weren't they didn't have anything better to add they didn't have better ideas than she had they just happened to have more access to to money or they had you know they got in because their their families knew somebody so I I, I think you can again you can have both you can elect uh, people of color you can elect women that happen to be qualified I, I'm not a fan of of course, just electing somebody just because you want more women women in politics or just because you want more black people in politics. No, but I think that uh, it's definitely important to to try and, and get, you know, diverse candidates. And I also think, you know, that starts with the local level as well. You know, it starts with city council. That starts with, you know, mayors. It starts with, with all of that stuff. Um, and it's, I think it's really, really important that politics and, and the American government sort of reflects how we are as a population. And obviously America is and continues to be a really, really diverse nation. So that's that's pretty much all for today. Um, just 
remember that voting is is really important, whether it's a local level or national level. And uh, I, I want to end this episode with a quote from the first female black woman in Congress, Shirley Chisholm. And she said, quote, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. So I think that's that's always important advice, whether it's in politics or just just anywhere. Uh, so yes, definitely make sure to, to find a seat at the table. As always, thank you so much for listening. See you next time and have a good one.